we forget what it's like to learn to read. We forget when we first wrote a word that we had to think about every sound and attach a spelling to that sound because it's so automatic for us. So at the beginning of my teacher's career, I saw the world through my kids' eyes and the challenges they faced. So it helped me better understand what I needed to do to make this learning accessible. Hi, and welcome to Twig Education on the Gift of Reading. I'm Dr. Kim Mueller, and today I'm speaking to Wiley Blevins, who is a consultant and writer. Wiley is involved in literacy, helps reading coaches, builds phonics programs, writes books. He really has so much to offer in the education community. I know that many of the teachers I speak to are fans of Wiley's work, and I definitely consider myself a fan as well. I'm going to be talking to him about the power of reading, what it feels like to be a language learner, and also the work that Wiley did to help create Twig Science. So let's get started. Welcome, Wiley. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. I wanted to start out our talk today with finding out a little bit about the journey that you had into teaching. What led you to where you are right now in your career? My interest in becoming a teacher started when I was a very young child. I'm originally from a very rural community in the Appalachian Mountains of West Virginia, and I come from what I call a legacy of illiteracy. My grandparents on my father's side never learned to read or write, so I grew up seeing all the obstacles that were in front of them, and my grandmother would find all these ways to get around reading. I remember sitting at a restaurant and she would always get the menu and she would insist on being the last to order. And sometimes she'd hold the menu upside down. And I would ask my sister, why is she doing this? Why is she the last to order? And she said, grandma only knows what we order. And she orders something that she's heard. So order something grandma likes. There were all these workarounds. And so I really wanted to grow up and teach my grandma to read. That was my motivation from being a very, very young child. So like on my mother's side, my grandmother only went to school to the fifth grade. So although she had some schooling, after that you had to go into town and she didn't think she had fancy enough clothes. So I was one of those kids who didn't grow up in a home with books. And so I really needed public education, strong public education to open up the world of possibility for me. And that's exactly what happened. So I believe very strongly in the sort of transformative power that teachers have to open up the world of possibility for all children, especially those children who are like me from poorer communities with limited literacy backgrounds. I always tell teachers, I think the biggest gift you can give a child is the gift of reading, because once it's given, it can never be taken away and it forever transforms their lives. I think teachers sometimes forget how transformative the work they do is. So it's an honor to give that gift to children, but it's an enormous responsibility to do it right and to do it well. I know that you're working on an intervention program. So do you want to talk a little bit about uh, those contributions you're still making? So zeroing in from the the large picture into really how you are putting things in the, the hands of teachers. Yeah, we want our children to progress at the appropriate pace year after year. We know that for some students that isn't happening for a lot of reasons. So I'm working on a phonics intervention program that's really tier three intensive intervention for those students who are are more than you know two years below level who we really need to jump in there and rebuild that foundation so that they have some success in terms of reading. And I'm creating the program that I wanted. Too often times I see children go to intervention 
and they do less reading and they do less writing. It's more this isolated skill work. And I've known from my work that it's in the application with a learning stick. So I've created a program where they're reading and writing every day. It's application, 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 lots of repetition, lots of supports that they need. So I'm super, super excited about it. And at the same time, I'm doing that work at Raycraft Books, where I'm creating books by authors and illustrators from unrepresented communities so that all children see themselves in the books. So they understand the importance of their story, the value of their story, the value of their community, and that they have stories to tell that are worthy of being told. I think that's so important going back into the classroom, having had the experience we've all had in the past two years, and children now have a story to tell as well. Because you give tips, tricks, something that teachers can use going back into the classroom and creating those educational home environments. Well, I always tell teachers that for me, great phonics instruction is active, it's engaging, and it's thought-provoking. A lot of phonics instruction or early reading instruction I see is very passive. We need to know what children are thinking. We need to know how they're processing language. We need to know what they know about how English works so that we can help move them to the next level. And so the kinds of activities I do are very thought-provoking and active. You know, we're doing word building with letter cards where we're going from word to word and thinking about what's different in this word and why is it different and how do I choose this spelling and so on. I think one of the things that I focus my attention on is accelerating learning because we have such a short window in those early grades to get the foundational pieces in place, I want to do it as efficiently and as powerfully and as impactfully as possible. And so I'm always looking for those things to fine tune. So whatever teachers can do to get children thinking and talking about how words work and increasing the application, reading, reading, reading every day and writing about what they read, super important. I think you're talking about efficiency in essence. Can you give teachers some direction of how they can give practical application to that, of doing those checks across the different programs they've been given that they must teach? Well, we need to do significantly more work in science and social studies during our reading time. It's very interesting. We're having this national conversation now around what people are calling the science of reading, where we have this big body of knowledge about how children learn to read. And some of it comes from us classroom teachers and classroom researchers, but there are all these other sciences that are looking at how children learn to read, such as brain researchers. And they are providing insights into how children learn to read that can actually help us fine tune our instruction and move the needle. So all the things we do with phonics and accessing the words and our language comprehension skills, our vocabulary and our background knowledge. So we need to have equal emphasis on both. We need to be building that decoding piece. And if we aren't, the foundation isn't strong enough. But if we just focus on the decoding, we aren't building language and content knowledge at the same time. I work with a lot of teachers where I, I encourage them to not be so random about what they read in terms of informational text. Choose a topic, maybe animal habitats. We're going to read about animal habitats for a couple weeks and then change to a different topic so that they hear lots of repetition in the vocabulary and the concepts so they have a store of knowledge instead of, you know, one day apples and the next day frogs, where these things aren't related. So there are very purposeful things we can do to build that vocabulary and content knowledge while we're simultaneously building those really basic reading skills. And science is the perfect vehicle for it. Children are fascinated by science. They want to know about the world around them. And it, you don't have to read an informational text like you do a fiction book. You, you can read a page. You can read just a chapter. You can show a video. Like Twig has these amazing videos with print in them that you can access. All of that 
build this store of knowledge. You were a consultant and contributor to Twig Science. Tell us a little bit about what it was like to create the Twig Science program. And I think setting the framework for teachers to be able to base what they do <laughs> on all of the, the pieces you were just referencing. So, you know, I was introduced to the, the Twig team from someone who was working with them who said, this is a young, fresh, dynamic team doing super exciting things around the area of science, and you have to see what they're doing. And so I was so impressed. I mean, just the videos. The first time I saw the videos, I'd never seen anything of that quality and that high engagement here in the U.S. And that alone was like, I have to have this. I have to be a part of this in some small way. So we were thinking about books. We wanted to bring that same energy to the books. So we spent a lot of time thinking about the text structures and the text features and all the things that nonfiction writers include in text that are actually aids to understanding that we have to teach children to take advantage of. There were a lot of opportunities there to do some things that were different, you know, adding supports on the page for students who need those extra supports to highlight what writers are doing to help them and prompt teachers to use those supports and really teach teachers how to help students unpack the content in a way that makes uh, these texts so much more accessible. I mean, I wanted the books to feel like wonderful trade books. I wanted them to look exciting and be accessible reads. A lot of the other programs weren't putting in that time and energy. And our kids deserve the best instructional tools possible. They really do. The work that you have done in classrooms, even in other countries, I think you taught in South America. How is that changing the narrative of what you're doing right now? I, my first job was teaching second grade in an international school in South America. It was completely accidental. A friend of mine wanted to go to this international job fair and he needed a ride. And I had a car. <laughs> And Random. he convinced me that I should go, I should drive him and get practice interviewing. So I thought I'm going to this international job fair to practice because I'd never interviewed in my life. And so I didn't know that they hire you on the spot. So I interviewed with some people and one of the, the directors of a school in South America said, would you like to teach at my school? I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. Thinking, you know, that was just a rhetorical question. <laughs> and he came back, <laughs> he came back with, a, with a contract. So I ended up in South America, <laughs> but it was wonderful because here I am living in a country where I don't speak the language and nobody speaks English except the few people at my school. The director was like, you'll learn it. Don't worry about it. I would have this little Spanish to English dictionary and I would flip through, you know, the noun and then I flipped through the verb. And what it taught me was what it's like to truly be an English learner, to see the world through the kids' eyes who are in my classroom, we forget what it's like to learn to read. We forget when we first wrote a word that we had to think about every sound and attach a spelling to that sound because it's so automatic for us. So at the beginning of my teacher's career, I saw the world through my kids' eyes and the challenges they faced. So it helped me better understand what I needed to do to make this learning accessible. So it was a really great, maybe mistake, that I you know, ended up far from home not speaking the language because it ultimately benefited my teaching. Talk about jumping from the frying pan into the fire. Well, I always think when we get English learners and they're just learning the language and I see the instructional materials and I see that they're teaching them names of animals and they're teaching that, you know, the kinds of things we choose to teach them. The first things I learned in Spanish was, I want, I need, do you have? 
And where's the bathroom? Like the things that are important, we are not teaching to our beginners. And so it really changed my perspective of the utility of what I was doing with them. One of the questions I wanted to ask you is, do you have a favorite book that you've written? Maybe that's like saying, which is your favorite child? I was asked this question recently and with a bunch of other authors. They're all like, you know, I love all my children equally. I was like, no, I have favorites. <laughs> a book that came out maybe a year and a half ago, a chapter book I wrote called Trevor Lee and the Big Uh-Oh. I've had the great fortune of publishing 90 books in the trade world. Some of them were nonfiction. So, you know, nonfiction series and things like that. But this is the first book of 90 that I was able to get published that was set in my home community in rural West Virginia. I, I think people don't realize the publishing industry has a huge bias against poor rural children. They don't like to publish our stories. They don't think we read books. They don't think we write books. So we grow up not seeing our stories and not thinking our stories matter. And it took me 90 books to get a publisher to publish the first. And so I'm super, super proud of this book because it reflects everything about my childhood. It's a little boy named Trevor Lee who struggled with reading in school. And so it's a very funny look at him trying to avoid reading, basically, and his relationship with his uh, grandmother, his mama. And you learn in the book that she can't read. So it goes back to my childhood, my experiences, and me expressing what it was like to live in the rural mountains when I was a child. And so I'm super excited that that book has seen it into the world. Thank you for a full circle conversation. Couldn't have been more perfect in my opinion. I want to thank you so much for your time. I'm a huge fan of what Twig is doing, so it's exciting. We'll be hearing more about your projects and accomplishments soon. Bye. Bye-bye.